That's really, that's, that's really what we're talking about today and next week. We're talking about the core, who we are. Are we the type of believer who would just, you know, leave our hometown, leave our family, leave our friends, leave our Red Sox and Celtics and Bruins and go to a place that they can't even get in yet because of COVID and, and minister there? Are we the type of believer that at the core of who we are, that's what our sermon series is, talking about our core, that that, that, is, that is what shapes us and makes us into, into people who would just say yes to the Lord, whatever that kind of, giving them a blank check, yes, Lord, yes. Is that who, who we're known as? Is that, does that name Christian? We say that our core values, we are Christian, we are, we are holiness, we are missional. Is that name Christian, that we are bearing the name of Christ? Well, my name is Rob Prince. I was in the paper this week. Did you see that? It made the M Live news. I was so excited about it. I have a copy. Robert Prince is Detroit's secret weapon. Woohoo! I didn't know it. No, it's not. I think the, 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 the Lions wide receiver coach is also named Robert Prince. This week I got a new pair of shoes. I'm not, there they are, Prince. So I didn't have to write my name on the inside. If I lose them, it's on the outside for all to see. This, just, no, this is no joke. Just last night, last night, Carla had a, kind of a girl's day. She was gone most of the day. And she was coming back and we ordered pizza. Ordered pizza from Jet's Pizza. And we've ordered pizza from Jet's Pizza before. And so I called her up. And they ha- must have caller ID because I called and they said, is this Prince? And I said, yes, it is. So what can we get for you, Prince? I said, well, I'd like a large pepperoni pizza. And they said, is that all, Prince? I said, yes, that's all. They said, well, you, we will see you in 30 minutes, your royal highness. <laughs> so I said, thank you. <laughs> the, when I was pastoring at Richfield, uh, my car broke down, and I had to take it to Hank Graff Chevrolet in Davison. And at the time, I don't know if he's still there or not, but at the time, the director or the manager of their service area was a guy named Robert Prince and so I showed up and the receptionist asked me my name I said I'm Rob Prince and she looked at me funny and she said are you a pastor and you know I guess I look like a pastor I didn't have a collar on or anything but uh yes I am a pastor and she started laughing I said what's so funny about that someone in their service department had gotten one of our flyers that we sent out from the church you know Christmas or Easter it said Pastor Rob Prince and so for the last four or five months, they'd been calling their service manager, Pastor Rob. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't have the typical profile for a pastor. I'm not sure that, that he even liked that title, but that's what they've been jokingly referring to him as. My point, what's my point? Do I have a point? I do. We call ourselves Christian. We are Christian. Do we bear the name of Christ well? Now, this is a Christian church, you're in a Christian church, so maybe most of us, maybe you at home, you you identify as a Christian, or maybe you're here just kind of testing it out, maybe you're dipping your toe in the water, do I really want to be a Christian? Maybe someone dragged you here, and and you're just, at least you have Christian friends, this is Christian. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, If you get down to it, it means one who belongs to Christ. One who displays the characteristics of Christ. One who is striving to be more and more like Jesus. Is that you? 
We say we are Christian, we are holiness. What does that mean? Next week, we're going to focus in on we are missional. Maybe the best way for me to describe it is to tell you a story. I don't, I don't know if this is a true story or not. I heard another pastor tell it, and he said it happened in his church to a guy in his church. I don't know. It could be one of those pastor stories that he just made up. But the story is that a guy in his church, his wife went away, kind of like Carla had gone away yesterday, but they had a cat. And the guy, the guy, it was his wife's cat, the guy hated the cat, really. And his wife was gone, and, and he was there, and whether he caused it, whether he promoted it, whether he instigated it, the cat got out of the house and ran out of the house. I hope, hope you're not a cat lover. Ran out of the house and got smacked and killed by a car. I know, it's sad. Well, it may not even be true. So anyway, the wife came home. And she was, she was she, you know, of course she wanted to see her cat. And the guy didn't want to tell her, you know, the cat ran out of the house and got smacked by a car. So he said, and he, he, he thought, you know, he kind of justified his little white lie because, you know, he said, well, I think the cat ran away. <laughs> the cat didn't run away, ran right into the road, got smacked by a car. I think the cat ran away. And so she was, you know, of course, all upset that her cat ran away. And so she made up posters and signs, uh, you know, cat run away, reward. And she, wanted, she really loved this cat. $5,000 reward for this cat. And since her husband was the one who, you know, let the cat away, the cat's dead, let the cat get away, she made him go up all through town putting these posters all over. Well, the guy had a friend who saw him, saw him putting up one of these posters for this missing cat, dead cat, and, and he said, he knew, he knew that, he knew for one, he didn't have $5,000 to pay some kind of reward. He also knew that the guy hated the cat. And so he went up to him and said, what in the world are you doing? You don't have $5,000 to give somebody and you don't even like that cat. You hate that cat. And the guy said this, when you know what you know, you do what you do. When you know the cat's dead, you're not paying anybody. When you know what you know, you do what you do. I suppose if we had a theme for the next three Sundays, that would be it. When you know what you know, you do what you do. We're saying we're a Christian. We are holiness. You know what we know. That should inform what we do. Who you are on the inside determines what you do on the outside. When you know what you know, you do what you do. When you say, all right, I'm a follower of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I want to be shaped and molded by Jesus. That should then inform how we go about in living our lives. I want to give you two examples this morning. A, a good example of a church that really embraced that and, and, and lived into that. And another example of a church that struggled. And maybe the third church that's yet to be determined, I suppose. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 11. Again, it feels kind of weird to say anything other than Mark, but we're in Acts this morning. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, reads like this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, remember Stephen was stoned, Paul, his name was Saul at the time, was standing by, Stephen was stoned, and after that there was a great persecution against the church. The Christians became, you know, public enemy number one. So there's a great persecution after Stephen was killed and people traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among the Jews. So these frightened Christians take off. But someone should have told them how this works. You know, when you're in hiding, when you're trying to be incognito because you're a Christian, don't tell people about Jesus. But that's what they were doing. They were telling everybody about Jesus. It's only the Jews. They were telling Jews about Jesus. And then it goes on, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch. 
and began to speak not just to the Jews, but to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus and how the Lord's hand was with them. Just stop, let me stop right there. The Lord's hand was with them. They're being persecuted. They're running for their lives, and yet they're saying, God's hand has been with us, and God has been protecting us, and God has been good to us. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached Jerusalem. When God is working, good things are happening, news travels, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Hey, Barnabas, go check out what's happening in Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And here it comes again. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, if you're watching at home, and if you're counting at home, that's two times in a, in a brief span of Scripture where it says a lot of people are finding Jesus. And when God is working and God is moving, and revival is breaking out, and it's awesome. A great number of people are finding Jesus. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember, Saul had been there when Stephen was, was stoned, but he became a Christian. You remember that story. And so he's still in Tarsus. Barney goes and gets Saul, found him, brought him back to Antioch. Paul, Saul, you've got to see what's going on in Antioch. God is doing all these great things. You've got to be there. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And then here's the big news. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians first in Antioch. They were, they, were, they were looking so much like Jesus. They were acting so much like Jesus that people, non-believers, people just said, man, they're Christians. They belong to Jesus. They're going where Jesus would go. They're doing what Jesus would do. They're loving like Jesus. They're acting like Jesus. They're, they're caring for their neighbors like Jesus. They're loving their enemies like Jesus. They're acting like Jesus. Paul would have said it this way. He said, he said, your attitude, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter two. That's what these people were doing. I want that to be us, don't you? That people, not, not, not even non, not, not Christians, other people, people you work with, go to school with, your neighbors, they'll hear about what's going on here and they'll say, wow, those people, they're they are like Jesus. They're behaving like Jesus. They're caring like Jesus. That's, that's who they are. That's all it's all about. Well, that was what was going on in Antioch. Good news. Not as good news as what was going on in another church. They, too, became a, a, a Christians as a group of believers. They formed a community, but they were having a lot of problems. It's the church at Corinth. Uh, and, you know, when someone becomes a Christian, they don't automatically, at that moment, instantly become nice or dignified or refined if, if, if sometimes that's surprising to people, they think, you know, once you become a Christian, everything is smooth sailing. It's not always that way. If you were a bad housekeeper before you started following Jesus, you're probably going to be untidy. If you had some bad habits before you became a Christian, those bad habits might not instantly go away. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. I told you a story of my dad plenty of times. He became a Christian. He was an alcoholic. No more alcohol right from that moment forward. But it's been my experience. Most people, most people aren't like that. Most people that have some sort of a bad habit or, or addiction or something like that, they become a Christian and it's you know, two steps forward, but then it might be one and three quarter steps back. And then two steps forward and one and three quarter steps back. And it's a, a, a process where Jesus is through, is with us through all of those, those struggles, but it isn't always boom, done. 
It was kind of boom done in Antioch, but it wasn't boom done in Corinth. They, they had problems. They had, well, a lot of issues. And yet, Paul refers to them. He continues to refer to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it, again, it doesn't mean that they instantly were figured everything out. In fact, the, the church at Corinth, the people of Corinth, they, were, they had a terrible reputation. They were unruly. They were hard-drinking, sexually promiscuous. And Paul comes on the scene, you know, and, and people find Jesus, and, and they form this community, and they're, and they're trying. They're coming out of these, these lifestyles where that was just very, very prevalent in their society. But it wasn't necessarily like any of boom, done. It was struggles. It was issues. And they kept up. And Paul hung with them for a while, for a year and a half. He was only with the church in Antioch a year. Him and Barney were there for a year. He was with the Corinthians for, for a year and a half. But, you know, it's hard in a year and a half, in a year and a half to get everything, you know, to make them from, from where they were to where they needed to be. It's only a year and a half. I've been here seven years. I'm still, you know, getting my feet wet. He was only with them a year and a half, and Paul had to go. His call was not to stay in one church and to plant it and stay there forever and ever and ever. His, his calling was to plant churches throughout Europe, to, 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 to spread the gospel. So he had to leave, and when he was gone, things kind of blew up. And the people there, they, two steps back, right? And, and we, have, we have First and Second Corinthians in your Bible because, because they had problems. You don't have a, a book, First and Second Antiochians, because the Antiochians, they, they had it figured out. But you have First and Second Corinthians because they didn't. And there was sectarianism and disunity and sexual immorality, and that's just the first six chapters of First Corinthians. They had a lot of problems. And so Paul writes this letter to them. And, 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 and he doesn't call them backsliders. He doesn't call them heretics, hypocrites. He doesn't use any of that type of language. Again, he refers to them as brothers and sisters. You started off, you were doing so well. And he teaches them things about unity and, and the Lord's Supper and worship. He doesn't disown them. He doesn't, you know, throw a rock at them. He doesn't, you know, flip out and just go into some kind of tirade. Nothing like that. We can learn a lot from Paul. So often, Christians get, you know, they, they maybe do things differently, they may see things differently, and, and so often, our country is so divided, we want to, to demonize everyone who doesn't think like we think. Ah, there's a lot we can learn from Paul. Here this church was, they had gone off the rails in many, many ways, and yet he's, still, he's gone, hey, you're my brothers and sisters. You've gotten off the rails a little bit. We've got to bring you back, but you're my brothers and sisters. Oh, we have a lot to learn we could learn from Paul. So to these stumbling believers, Paul in loving kindness, calling them brothers and sisters, brings them back, reminds them. What he's going to do is remind them where they were. He's going to remind them who they belong to. Remember, that's what being a Christian is. I belong to Jesus. He's going to remind them they've forgotten. And so he reminds them. I'm going to read the passage from the message version um, because I think it just speaks well. Chapter 1, verse 10, reads like this. Paul's words to the church. I have serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. Again, he doesn't say, you big dummies. Using the authority of Jesus as our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some from Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention that you're fighting among yourselves. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You're picking sides. Going around saying, I'm on Paul's side. I'm from Apollos. Peter is my man. I'm in the Messiah group. 
I ask you, has the Messiah been chopped up in little pieces so that each of you can have a relic all of your own? Was Paul crucified for you? Was a single one of you baptized in Paul's name? Crazy. Verse 26. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life, when you became believers. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. No, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these quote-unquote nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, get this, everything we have, when you know what you know, you do what you do. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Okay, these people, they got off to a great start. Paul was leading them, year and a half. Everything kind of blows up. Paul leaves and they start fighting, carrying on. And, and, and he's addressing this problem that Chloe had with them and the church is divided. And Paul gets them back to the basics. When you know what you know, you forgot what you knew. When you know what you know, you, you, you do what you do. So Paul reminds them. You know, by the world's standards, you weren't very much. No one was, was touting your horn. But then you found Jesus. And your life had meaning and purpose and everything was going great. Everything we have, he said. Everything, right living, right, right thinking. When you know what you know, you do what you do. It comes by way of God through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the core of who we are. It's right thing. We are Christian. We are holiness. Now, it may be that you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I find myself, I'm more like the church at Corinth than the church at Antioch. You know, it wasn't boom, done, like Antioch. It's been more, I found Jesus and I take a couple steps back. And I try to serve Jesus, but I find myself doing stupid things. And I want, in my heart of hearts, I want to I I be a Christian. I want to be the, the person that God wants me to be. But I find myself over and over again doing these things that just drag me down. It's two steps forward, one and three quarters steps back. What's going on? Have you asked yourself that question? I think the answer, again, it goes back to our core. We are Christian. We belong to Jesus. We are holiness. What does that get to? Maybe the best way for me to explain what I'm talking about here is to tell you what happens. And sometimes we travel, and occasionally we won't stay in a hotel, but we'll stay at, at a friend's house. I invited Larry and Lynn to stay at our house. They're at their cousin's house. We invite them to stay at our house if they need a place to stay. And you've done this before, or you've had guests at your house, and when they come, what do you say? We always say the same thing, right? They come into our house, and we say, make yourself at home. Now what that means is that if they want to hang their clothes up in the closet in the spare room, they can do that. And that means if they want to leave their shaving kit in the bathroom, you know, in the spare bathroom, they, they can do that. Or if they want in the middle of the night, they get hungry, they can go into the refrigerator and get the, a piece of cold pizza out and eat it if they want to. Make yourself at home. You just make yourself at home. Now what they don't mean is like when I'm at my house, my home, I can do whatever I want in there. In fact, we've been living in our house for a little over six years, and we, we hit my friend Greg Wright came, and we tore out a wall. We built a new wall. And my friend Ron Arnett came, and he painted some of our walls. 
and we, when we changed the deck, and we, my friend Larry Center came, we put a, a kind of a patio out front. We've done all this stuff. So when we say, well, make yourself at home, they don't mean tear down a wall. They don't mean move the furniture. They don't mean paint a new thing. They just mean, you know, you're a guest here. Feel welcome here. Let me become a Christian. It's like that's what we tell Jesus. Jesus comes into our heart, right? You've heard that language before. We've invited Jesus into our heart. What we're telling Jesus at that point is, you know, Jesus, make yourself at home. You know, relax around here. And when we become a Christian, I've told you before, we get all of Jesus. We don't get part of Jesus. All of Jesus comes in. And we say, make yourself at home, Jesus. If you get hungry, there's a piece of cold pizza in the refrigerator. You can have it. But what we don't mean is tear down any walls. We don't mean it's don't, don't move the furniture. <laughs> Keep things the way they are, Jesus, but make yourself at home. And holiness. When we say we are holiness, it says we're, we're saying to Jesus, you know what, Jesus? If you want to move the furniture, if you want to tear down a wall, if you want to pick up my house and move it to the Philippines, I'm all in. That's what holiness is. In fact, what holiness is, when it comes right down to it, it's saying, Lord, here's my house. I don't want you to just make yourself at home. Here's my house. Here's the deed to my house. My house is no longer my house. My house is your house. And whatever you say goes, and wherever you want me to go, that's where I'm going to go. And where you want me to stay, that's where I'm going to stay. And Lord, I'm going to follow you. And and even when I stumble, even when I fall, I'm going to get back up and get on the road because I want to serve you. My house is your house. That's what I want. That's holiness. It's, it's no longer us that's calling the shots. It's saying, God, we want you to call the shots. Don't just move in. Don't just make yourself at home. Lord, you have the house. That's what we're talking about. And when you know what you know, you do what you do. When, when, when you're following after Jesus, you belong to Jesus. You're a Christian. And you've said, I want what God wants. I want a holy life. Then you'll be amazed at what God can do. Go back to the, that, that church in Antioch. The church in Antioch was doing great things. And, the, and, and, and Luke, who's telling the story, tells what happens next in the church. He says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them's name was Agabus, and he stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. The famine happened, just as the guy said. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his own ability, send relief to the brothers living in Judea. The church at Antioch, they were so close, doing what the Lord would have them to do, that that they were so in tune. They even had, you know, there's people coming and prophesying, they were in tune to what God wanted. And then out of that in tuneness to God's will, there was welled up within them a great generosity. Probably none of them had been to Judea. They only heard that they were going to have troubles, and they said, hey, man, we're going to take up an offering. See, that's what happens. When you know what you know, you do what you do. When you know what you know, when, when you know, I don't own the house anyway, it's the Lord's, then you become generous. It's not, you don't just hold on tightly to what you have. You say, Lord, it's yours. What you have is, is, Lord, what I have is what you have, and what you have is what I have, and together we can see great things happen. That's what's going on in Antioch, do you see? That's the type of church I want us to be. 
a church that understands and a people that understand that, that all that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be is richer, purer, better when we find it in Jesus. There's one more scripture I, I want to read. It's Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians. And it, I think it's going to be on your screen. It says, May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That's my prayer, that you would belong to Jesus through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, I mean everything that makes up of you, your whole house, be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. Jesus Christ and the one who calls you here's the best part it's not you doing it it's not you figuring it all out the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it he can be there and make you not only a follower yes I belong to Jesus but not one that's just oh, it's always two steps forward one and three quarter steps back but a believer who's saying Jesus I want all of you it's two steps forward and another two steps and another two steps and another two steps all the way to glory that's what he's, his desire for you is we are a Christian people we are a holy people. We are God's people.